Shalom and the peace of the Lord be with you. Before we look at the meditation for this morning, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you in worship, we invite you to move freely amongst us. Thank you for your promise that where two or three are gathered, in your name you are in the midst. Come Holy Spirit, fill us today. Celebrate the gift and celebrate the gift of life that you have lavished upon each one of us. We ask that you will open our ears so that we may hear your voice. Open our minds so that we may receive your eternal wisdom. Open our spirits so that we may know your leading and guidance. Open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. The sermon title for this morning is entitled The End of the Beginning. And uh, we are actually at the end of the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 31. I think next week we'll be looking at the book of Acts. Some of us in the 1960s, we have black and white television only. We don't have yet color television. But there was a good TV drama. With some of you who were young or old, even at the time of between 1962 to 1967, there was this popular TV drama called The Fugitive, starring David Jensen. He's a man who was accused of killing his wife and he was chased and sought by the police and so he ran away and that's why he was called the fugitive. And the thing is that, friends, you know, when the drama is so good, and we were watching it so intense. And you know what happened? Suddenly the screen shows you to be continued. I think sometimes it gets very frustrating. When the, when the drama is so exciting and then the TV screen just goes blank and then says to be continued. So friends, here is to be continued. The book of Samuel Chapter 1, verse 30, uh, uh, sorry, first, first Samuel chapter 31, is not the end. It is going to be the end of the beginning. Actually, the book of Samuel is actually only one book, according to the Hebrew Bible. But in our Christian Old Testament, it has been divided into 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So 1 Samuel chapter 31 is not about the end, but the beginning of 2 Samuel. 
And for today's sharing, we're going to look at three portions. The defeat of Israel, the death of Saul, and the disgrace of Saul. Talking about victory versus defeat. You know, when we have victory over something, over the game, all right, over sports, a game, or over your success in the examination, we are overjoyed. As you can see in the faces, winning or victory makes you feel good. But then what about defeats? And you can see the faces when we are in defeat. And today we are going to look at the defeat at Mount Geboa. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1, now the Philistines fought against Israel. Uh, the Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gibeah. If you look at Mount Gibeah, the slope there, the battle was actually fought in the Jezreel Valley. It's a flat plain. But then the Philistines were so good in the battle that the Israelites have to retreat and they retreat to what we call Mount Gilboa and it was a fierce battle the strategy also for the Israelites to go up to Mount Gilboa was to make it difficult for the Philistines to attack to further attack the Israelites and also make it difficult for the chariots of the Philistines to go up to Mount Gilboa. And so that is Mount Gilboa if we were to go to Israel today. The defeat at Mount Gilboa was already foretold when Saul went to seek the medium at Endor as recorded in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 28. Remember, Saul was so desperate that he had to disguise himself and go and see the medium at, the, at Endor. Now, it's just an irony. Saul was the one who removed all the mediums from Israel. And now, he is seeking the medium himself and he disguised himself. Saul has to be blamed for this defeat. What is the reason? The reason is that Saul has lost his focus. He was focusing more on David to kill David because of his jealousy for David. And he was not focusing on his real enemies of Israel. So, Saul's tragic failure on Mount Gibeah was also a consequence of his disobedience to God. 
He forsook God and consulted the medium even. What a terrible thing to do. Saul started well as a young, handsome man, being chosen as the first king of Israel. But now look at what happened to him. He did not finish well. If you can remember the last sermon that I shared with you in March of this year, he did not finish well. Now, sometimes we ask the question, when we, when we read the Old Testament, we read about a constant war between Israel and the Philistines. And we ask, it's so strange. Why are they constantly at war? We also ask the question, by the way, who are the Philistines? Who are they? Where did they come from? According to records, the Philistines originated from Greece and they settled along the coast of Palestine. And at about the time, about 12 BC, 12th century BC, at about the time the Israelites entered the Promised Land from the east. Now, if you can remember, during the Exodus from Egypt, God did not lead the Israelites on the road through the Philistine country along the coast, although it was a much shorter way. But God said if they face, if they, what do you call that, uh, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. In other words, God does not want them to what? To be attacked by the Philistines. So why were the Philistines at constant war? with Israel. They were like a thorn in the flesh for Israel. Now, you know roses? When we mention flower, people like this. The first thing that comes to mind, rose. So on Valentine's Day, we have roses for our, what do you call that, our, our, our girlfriends, our sweethearts, our wives. But please remember, roses uh, also have thorns. Why are there thorns on the roses? I'm, some, I'm, think, I'm sure some of you have been pricked by the thorns from the roses. The thorns were there on the roses, on the stem, is to protect them from being eaten by animals. When I was in Melbourne visiting my son, Aaron, I was doing my morning walk, and as I was walking along, I brushed against the side of a hedge. And you know what happened? Uh? It grazed my foot and blood came out. The hedge has thorns. I was wondering why this guy, this occupant of the house, have, have, have grew a hedge of thorns. It was protection for his home. So metaphorically speaking, a thorn is a source of discomfort. A source of annoyance, a difficulty, or an obstacle. So you have thorns. Even the emblem of Scotland has thorns. According to 
historical records. The, the Danish at the time, the Vikings, they were trying to occupy Scotland. And they were going on to uh, attack the camp of the English, of, of, the, of the Scots. And the Scots laid uh, on the ground uh, many thistles, that means their thorns. And so this Viking, in order to be quiet, they took off their shoes. So they were barefooted. And you know what happened? One of them stepped on the thorn and said, Ouch! He shouted so long and woke up the whole camp of the Scottish people. And that's how they were defeated by the Scots. Friends, you and I have thorns in our lives. And so does the Apostle Paul, who declared that he has also a thorn in his life, in his flesh. And if you will read, I turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. He says these words, to keep me from becoming conceited. Take note of the word, conceited. Because of this surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. And he continues, he says what, no? He asked the Lord three times to remove that thorn from him. But God does not do so. And that's why he says in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You and I have thorns. And what are symbols of thorns? It could be a chronic illness of physical nature, a sickness or injury in our lives. It could be some disability. It could be unfulfilled desires. It could be difficult relationship in our lives. So thorns are flaws in our life. They are, they are our flaws. Without the flaws, uh, we, if we are perfect and complete, we don't need God anymore. That's why God gave Paul that thorn, so that he will not be conceited. We have thorns so that we will depend on the Lord always. And we thank God for His grace to thrive with thorns in our flesh. And please remember, if we have a thorn, if Paul has a thorn in his flesh, Jesus has a crown of thorns. Not one, a crown of thorns. Can you imagine that? We talk about defeats and victories. Christians, we at times suffer defeats. Because why? We are always in a spiritual warfare. And we must remember that. We are in constant spiritual warfare. When we sin against God, when we go against God in many, many ways, when we remove ourselves from God and we do our own thing, the devil doesn't care about you. He says, go on, go on, go on. The devil encourages you. But the time when you become a Christian and you 
have repented of your sin, the devil will keep you in his crosshair. You will constantly be attacked. And that's where sometimes we fall. We become easy mark for the devil. We talk about the Philistines constantly attacking Israel. We have read Israel will one time defeat the Philistines. And then after that, the Philistines will defeat them. Friends, you may have gone back to a bad habit. When you become Christian, you, you have already relinquished that bad habit. But sometimes you go back to the bad habit. You have disappointed your family, failed at your job, or even backslidden. You have even what? Gone back to gambling, which you have given up since you became a Christian. You go back to the old ways, back to the habit. Gambling, pornography, gossip, alcohol addiction. That's what happened to us if we are not careful. So exhaust children, we may experience defeat from time to time due to a foolish decision. And the moment we step away from God, we fellowship from, uh, from fellowship with God, we are like fish out of water. It is said that fish discover water last. So whether it's from sin, burnout, lack of faith, we all have felt defeat in our Christian lives. But we should not be discouraged because Paul said, thanks be to God, we have victory through Jesus Christ. And that's why we must constantly be in fellowship with God. So what's the takeaway, friends? We have read the defeat of Israel by the Philistines is not the end. It is the end of the beginning. Because why? Later on, David went on to defeat the Philistines. And second thing, remember, Jesus' death on the cross was seen as a defeat. The devil must be laughing, ha, 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 here. This Jesus is now dead on the cross. But it is not the end, as we all know. It is just the beginning because Jesus died and on the third day he rose from the dead. Jesus conquered death. Let us now pause for a time of reflection. What are your thorns? What have, you, what have been your attitude towards them? How do you think God wants you to see them? How can you trust and submit to Him so that you can thrive with these thorns? And for the children, who do you turn to when you are fearful, worried, or anxious? Let us spend two minutes.
the timer is not moving. According to my estimation, the two minutes is up, so we shall continue. Uh, but I cannot move my slide also. Well, we have looked at the defeat of Israel. The second point that I'd like to share with you is about the death at Mount Gilboa. Fear of death! Who is not afraid of death? You know, the fear of death and dying is quite common. Most people fear death to varying degrees. While some fear is healthy because it makes us more conscious, but some people have also have an unhealthy fear of dying. They call this condition thanatophobia, the extreme fear of death. I remember when my late sister, elder sister, passed away. Her body was laid at the wake area at the Pulautikus Church of Assumption. And I was the first person to be there on a Sunday morning, very early in the morning, while it was still dark. And I walked in, and you know what happened? It was very dark. And as I walked in, you know, normally they placed the, the portrait of the deceased in front of the coffin. And you know what? I saw my face there. I was so shocked. How, how come I'm there? And I walked further. It was just my reflection. You see, sometimes we can also have this fear of death. But then, there was this man, Dietrich Benhofer, who was against Adolf Hitler. And he, because of his opposition to Adolf Hitler, he was accused in the assassination plot of Adolf Hitler towards the end of the Second World War. He was stripped of his clothes, actually. He was naked. 
and he was marched together with four other German generals who were involved in the plot to kill Adolf Hitler. And all of them were hanged on that early morning. And Dietrich Benhofer has this to say. He said this, this is the end, but not for me. It is merely the beginning of life. This was the passion of Dietrich Benhoeven, who was loyal to the Lord, faithful to the Lord towards even the end. He says, they may kill me, but this is not the end. It is merely the beginning of life because he knows that he is going to face his maker. Death at Mount Gilboa, friends. We read in the scripture, the Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons. And they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. Saul lost his three sons in the battle at Mount Gilboa. The fighting was so fierce, so intense. And the archers overtook Saul and they wounded him critically. He was wounded badly. And so what did Saul do? He took things into his own hands, which he has been doing it all the time, being disobedient to God. And you know what he did? He committed suicide. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run, through, run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do, do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. It is so tragic to see how Saul has fallen. Even in his hopeless situation, he did not even cry out to God in humility and faith. He took matters in his own hands and he committed suicide. And then we were told when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. When Saul fell, he took others with him, his three sons his armor-bearer, and his soldiers. What a tragedy that happened. To give you a very quick understanding of armor-bearer, the armor-bearer is a very brave man who will be on the side of, of his master. In other words, King Saul's right hand. You know why right hand? Because the right hand is not protected. The right hand, you hold the sword. The left hand, you hold the shield. 
So he's supposed to protect the right side of his master, in this case, King Saul. He was supposed to do that. But I don't think he did a good job because why? Saul got pierced by arrows. He did not protect his master. What if King David were to be there? David. You know David, we read, was originally Saul's armor bearer? But in this case, King David was fighting the Amalekites at that time and had won victory over the Amalekites. Here we see defeat of Saul. And at the same time, we have the victory of, over the Amalekites by David. So that's why we ask the question, did Saul's armor bearer do his job well or not? Saul fell. Jim Collins wrote a book entitled, How the Mighty Fall. And he said in his research, great companies fall because of pride or hubris. The same thing happened to Saul. He was full of pride. That's why, you know, in Pro this proverb it says why? Pride goes before a fall. Let, us be a let this be a reminder to us. Pride goes before a fall. And so, Paul, Saul fell. And that's why David said, in, said, in fact, he said three times in 2 Samuel chapter 1. He said, how the mighty have fallen. Three times he said that. David did not gloat in the death of Saul. That means what? He says, yeah, serve him right. He died. Good. I know of an elder of a church who had a quarrel with another elder of a church. So when the elder of the church, one elder of the church died, this elder said, thank God he died. This is called gloating over the death of a person. Do we gloat over the death of a person? In Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan who were there at the earthquake died. Could be Taliban there. Are we rejoicing? Yes, good, they died. We are happy that they died. This is called gloating over the death of people. David never do that. Question is, how do you respond to the fall and death of others? People who may, whom you do not like. And when they fail, and when they are defeated, and when they die, we rejoice. As Christians, is this our attitude? Friends, the takeaway is this. Your life, my life, is worth living no matter how bad it gets. Saul should know this. If Saul were to be here today, you can ask, you can tell Saul, your life is worth living, you know. How come you commit suicide? And second thing is, 
surround yourself with the right people who will be your armor bearers to join the battle against the enemies of our souls. Do you have people around you who will help you when you are in trouble and distress? Who will be your armor bearers? And that's why we need a small group. The small group members are there to support you. Each one of them. Surround yourself with people who can be your armor bearers. So friends, let us look at reflection number two. Who are the armor bearers around you? Proverbs 13, 20 says that he who walks with wisdom, with, with wise men, will be wise. To the children, what company of friends are around you at school or in your neighborhood? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And this is what we should tell our children. And make sure that they are surrounded by God-fearing people. Let us have these two minutes of self-reflection. We now come to the final section of this morning's meditation and that is the disgrace of Saul and his sons. 
Let's just take a look at the wicked acts of the Philistines. It was recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 31, 8-10. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gibor. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among the people. They put his armor in the temple of the Estoreb and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. After the battle, the Philistines did a mopping up operation and they found Saul and his three sons. The Philistines beheaded Saul and his head was sent from city to city, city to celebrate the Philistine victory. The Philistines thought that it was a victory not over Saul but over the God of Saul. His body along with the bodies of his three sons were taken to Bethshan and nailed to the city walls. The Philistines were heaping disgrace upon Saul's house and upon God's people. 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 20 says this, And they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. Dagon is the god of the Philistines. Friends, here we see the parallel between Saul and Jesus. Like Saul, Jesus was humiliated and disgraced, spat upon and mocked. Jesus' clothes were removed like that of Saul. Now, in, uh, you know, from pictures that we see about Christ's crucifixion, we find Christ wrapped in, in with a towel around his waist. But this was not simply the case because the Romans were not so kind as to cover the male anatomy. Jesus was stripped of all clothing and hung naked before the jeering crowd. Like what happened to Dietrich Benhofer? He was stripped naked and then hanged with the other four German generals. Saul's naked body was pinned to the wall at Bethshan. Jesus was pinned to the cross at Calvary. What a terrible thing to happen. But then the Bible tells us that there was this villain man of Jabesh Gilead. What did they do? 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 11, 13 says, When the people of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their villain men marched through the night. They marched all the way through the night, you know. In spite of the danger of being killed by the Philistines, they went to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh, where they burned them. Possibly the body was so mutilated by the Philistines, they have to burn the body. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. The men of Jabesh Gilead, friends, 
were loyal and devoted to Saul. And they did not forget how they rescued them from the Ammonites, Nahash, who was also called Serpent, 40 years ago. They gave Saul and his sons a proper burial. Christ was also given a proper burial. Remember, Joseph Arimathea gave his new tomb, a new tomb for him, together with Nicodemus. My question is, friends, you today, coming to the church, you are like the men of Jabesh Gilead, valiant men, because you could have done other things than coming to church this morning. You could be at a park. You could be at a coffee shop. You could be at Starbucks. You could be at a golf course. But you chose to come this morning because you are like the men of Jabesh who are loyal and you come to honor Jesus Christ. When you see the cross and you come to the Holy Communion, please remember Jesus was pinned to the cross just like Saul. Are you then like the villain man of Jabesh Gilead? Remember what God, what Jesus did for you. The men of Jabesh remembered what Saul did for them. If you remember, Nahash wanted to gorge out the right eye of the Hemonites at that time. They, they wanted to gorge out the eyes of the, of the men of Jabesh Gilead. Why the right eye? Because if your eye, right eye has been gorged out, you cannot fight properly. You will lose because you hold the shield on the left. And then how can you fight with the sword in the right hand with the right, with the right, without the right eye? So Nahash was very smart. All right, all of you, if you want peace, everybody, we will gorge out your right eye. But Saul heard that. Saul went to the rescue them. And so they remember what Saul did. So friends, remember what Christ did for you on the cross. He suffered. He was despised. He was mocked. He was stripped naked. He was pinned to the cross. Friends, take away. God showed mercy to Saul by giving him the honour of a proper burial by the loyal men of Jabesh Gilead. Jesus was also given the honour of a proper burial by loyal followers like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Let us pause for the final reflection. Have you shown loyalty and given honour to Christ who took away your sin? Jesus came to erase shame and disgrace and make us his new, his own new creation. May God give us grace to erase disgrace. And to the children, how do you honor Jesus Christ in your home and in your school?
Let's take two minutes. Conclusion, friends, know that a Christian life is a three-pronged battle. The world, that is the enemy around us, the flesh, the enemy within, and the devil, the enemy above us. Be careful of the Philistines in your life. Saul was hit unexpectedly by arrows. Are you aware of the arrow coming your way? Are you aware of the arrows coming your way? Do honor the King of Kings and be loyal to God. Let me, Let me finish off with the epilogue. Winston Churchill on November 10, 1942, at the victory of El Alamein, in Egypt. The Allies have lost a lot of battles, but this was the first victory. And he said these words, now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. The end of the beginning was the first major victory for the Allies in this war. Nobody knew when the end would be, but it was the beginning of the end. Secondly, The death of Saul, the end of King Saul's reign, who came from the tribe of Benjamin, came to an end. But it was the beginning of the reign of David from the tribe of Judah. 
from which then the king of kings came from. There is an end even at the cross when Christ said it is finished. But that is not the end. Christ defeated death on the third day. Christ has one victory over death. Death is defeated. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, and those of us online, come to Jesus for that victory. Thank God there is a new beginning after death. It is only when we reach the end ourselves that God begins making us new. This is a day of new beginning for you and me. Let it begin today. Let us pray. Father, thank you for being with us throughout every season of our lives, whether they are endings or beginnings. We thank you for your word, which reminds us that there is a time for every purpose under heaven. We praise you for what you have ended in our lives because we know you have a plan for something new and wonderful. Father, we thank you for the new beginnings you have provided in every moment. Our body is filled with praise and thanksgiving for the love, mercy, grace and forgiveness you, have, you give. Even when we fail, you are there waiting to pick us up and guide us back on the path. You are ready for us. You have placed wonderful people as armor-bearers in our lives to help us to follow you. Thank you for those special people. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.